You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. to have all of you here tonight. Awesome worship. Thank you, worship team. Um, testimony. Did you talk to her? Are you ready? Come up here. I said if, if, you're, if you're here on a Wednesday night or even on a Sunday morning and God touches you and, and brings healing, because this is what we're contending for, this is what we're talking about, it, you know, scriptures talk about that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, um, that we talk about that, you know, healing um, is in the atonement. It was included when Jesus' blood was shed. In that was not just for the forgiveness of our sins, but it was also for the removal of sickness and disease. And so, uh, it's you know, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And so, when when God works in our life and we get up and we testify to what God's done, what that does is it just builds faith. Um, in those of us who are able to, to receive and to hear that testimony. So I just wanted you to kind of come up and just share what God had done for you. Um, well, first of all, I've, I've been saved since uh, 1983, but I have been struggling with depression. Um, I look back at my journals, and um, I see that all my life I've been struggling with depression. Um, it's been ugly. <laughs> I had... A feeling I was going to go to see um, uh, David Jeremiah in uh, Denver, um, September 15th, and I felt as though God spoke to me through the Spirit that I would that there would be a renewal and an awakening, and I thought I've I've got to go. I was sick. I had the shingles, and then I got um, pneumonia. <laughs> And uh, I had a, an infection, and this was all from June all the way up until September. And um, so I was physically and emotionally struggling, and I thought, I can't win this battle. It's too hard. And I was ready to shut down and just quit. Um, I just thought I'd just float through life, and I just won't even strive anymore. And then I got that... Uh, uh, urging from the Holy Spirit about David Jeremiah, and I thought, I want to go. So God made a way. I got to go. And it wasn't so much um, being in his service that that healed me. I, it was just kind of a, um, um, a, an affirming of what happened. I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and, and the Holy Spirit urged me to rebuke depression and to, to rebuke the enemy and to look him right in the face and say, get out of my house, get out of my body, go back to the pit of hell, do not raise your ugly head again, and do not ever come near me again. And so I did. And it was, no, nothing happened, I just felt okay. The next morning I woke up and I thought, I had this ugly thing inside of me for years, it felt like cactus in my gut. And every time I wanted to make a decision, even if it was uh, a happy thing or uh, something that would be fun or something, even just, even just getting up and doing the dishes, it was that thing would, would like curl around inside of me. And it, would, it was like de debilitating because I, it was like I can't even get off the chair. I can't get out of bed. Why get out of bed? You know, um, 
But I noticed that when I came back from Denver, Colorado, I, I, it was gone. And I, and I looked for it. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, it's gone. It's really gone. I thought, well, maybe it's not really gone. So then God spoke to me again, and he said, testify and tell people that it's gone. That ugly thing is gone. And he, and he said, don't look for it again. It's gone. And tell people. Because I was afraid that if I told people it was gone, then, then all of a sudden it would come back and then I would be a failure, you know, or a liar. And, and God said, no. No. He said, tell people. Let people know. He said, it's gone. It's really gone. Yay. So it's gone. <laughs> Praise God. Good. That is awesome. That is awesome. Um, I want to just, um, last week we talked about authority and just in, in the word um, this week I was just again reminded um, of just one of the motivations, um, you know, we're talk about divine healing and one of the motivations that really is behind divine healing um, is is love. I mean, that, that is part of what um, drives God to do what he does. It's, it's just because of an overwhelming love for us. But there's also something, another attribute that you find in some of the healings of Jesus. And I, I want to just get this in here because I, I don't know if I'll get it um, in, in, in the healing miracles. But in Matthew chapter 9, in verse um, 36, or actually beginning in verse 35, it says, and I don't have this up on the screen, I'm sorry for that, but if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew 9, 35. And it says, Jesus was going through the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And this is the part I want you to, to um, just capture, is seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. That there was just a compassion um, that Jesus was consumed with for, for the people that he saw that were struggling with sickness and disease. He said, because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And then it's really cool because then in chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, he brings his disciples together. And then he gives them that authority that we talked about last week. And, and it says that he gave them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, um, and, and what you talked about, and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. We have that authority, and, and oftentimes what we just need to ask God to do as we just begin to walk in that authority is, God, would you just breathe your compassion? Would you just cloak that compassion that, that uh, authority with compassion. That, that, God, we would begin to move in, in healing, in the casting out of demons. That, God, we, we walk in that authority, but we're also just cloaked in, in your compassion for the lost, for the sick, for the possessed. Um, and so I just want to pray that over us tonight um, as we get into the word. Um, just again, that, that we would just take what he has given to us, that authority, 
Um, the harvest, it's ready, it's ripe. Um, the workers are few. And so we want to be workers. We want to be doing the will of God. We want to be walking in the works um, that Jesus did. But even greater than that, because there's more of us. Um, and so we want to just take that authority tonight, kind of pick up from last week. And I just want to ask God just to breathe, just to kind of cloak you in that authority with compassion. Father, we just come to you. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, that Jesus operated out of a spirit of, of great love, of unconditional, just unbridled, uh, just full love. And yet, God, he also walked in that authority, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit that was within him. And God, in all of that, God, there was also a compassion Father, tonight we just want to, we want to walk in that authority. And God, in that authority, God, would you just breathe on us, even tonight, God, as we hear the teaching. Father, would you just breathe again, just compassion in our hearts, compassion in our spirits for those who are lost and sick and hurting and possessed. The poor, Father, that that compassion again would just drive us to exercise that authority that you have given to us. Because again, we are overcome with compassion as you were. And God, in that overcoming of compassion, God, that there is just a drivenness, a desire, a hunger in us to do what Jesus did. And so, Father, we just ask, Lord, that again, you just come. And would you just breathe that compassion upon us here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, when we're looking at the, the divine healing um, that Jesus did, again, there's just something that he's wanting to show us in each individual uh, healing miracle that he did. There's so many more that he did than what is recorded in Scripture, but the ones that are recorded in Scripture, I believe as the disciples are, are writing the Gospels, I just believe the Holy Spirit is saying to them, write this one, record this one, speak about this one, don't worry about this one, talk about this one. And I think that, that the Holy Spirit guided them specifically to um, very specific healing miracles because in that, Jesus wanted to use them to teach us something to give us a new insight regarding healing. And so as we're, as we're studying that, I want you to understand that as we're looking at these divine healings, that these really are um, a manifestation. It is the love power of God coming upon human flesh. Divine healing is God in his steadfastness. It's in his un changing love that's just reaching out to meet our needs. Divine healing, it is the incredible love of God that is just coming um, into the lives of, of human beings. And, and as she testified up here, just making them whole. Uh, divine healing is, is that agape love of God and, and it just streams to us. It just, it's just gushing uh, toward us from the heart of God. And so tonight I want to again look at one of these uh, healing miracles. It's in the book of John chapter 4. We're going to begin with verse 46. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open or follow along on the screen with me. Now after the two days, Jesus departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. 
So when Jesus came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone to the feast. So when Jesus came again to Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for his son was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to Jesus, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, to your, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken to him and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Then the nobleman inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. So John is uh, telling us that Jesus has come out of Judea, and he's entering into Galilee, and it says that some of the Galileans had been with him there in Judea. And there were many, many wonderful miracles and healings and deliverances that had happened down there in Judea. And these Galileans are, who were with Jesus, they're there, they witness this, they, they see what Jesus does and they come back with him and they're just ready to listen to Jesus. I mean, they're ready, uh, they're, they're just eager, they, they want to hear what does Jesus have to say. But I want you to notice what it says. It says, so when Jesus came to Galilee, Galileans received him having seen the things that Jesus did. So what John's saying to us is they're ready to receive, they're ready to accept Jesus based on what they had seen him do. So they had developed enough respect um, they had seen enough miracles, signs, and wonders that they have just this enormous respect for Jesus. To them, Jesus is kind of this mighty miracle worker. He is this man uh, who, who uh, performs these wonders. And, and Jesus has done so much supernatural stuff uh, right in front of their eyes that they're ready to believe, they're ready to receive and to acclaim him. Now what you're going to discover as this story kind of unfolds is this is really a very immature, this is kind of what I would call a baby faith. It's kind of what I would maybe call the beginnings of faith. It is faith that is based on believing because you see the miracle. It's believing solely because there was this supernatural wonder, there was this miracle that occurred, it happened right in front of your eyes, and because of that, you're ready to base your belief in Jesus. Now John tells us that an official man is seeking out Jesus because his son is ill. Now, we don't know exactly what position this official had. The scriptures don't say it. It probably really doesn't matter. I believe that it's probably somebody who had access to the palace, the court of King Herod. 
He was probably someone uh, who could be in the royal court with some kind of an assignment, very important assignment given to him. He was a rich man. We would assume he was a man who had great influence and his very uniform would probably tell you that he is uh, a part of and belonged to the, king, the court of King Herod. And this nobleman, like many of the others, he, he's kind of heard the things that Jesus has done. And the whole countryside, by this time in Jesus' ministry, the whole countryside is just filled with the stories, the miracles, the healings that Jesus has done. And certainly what Jesus had already done there in Capernaum. You remember that Jesus had turned water into wine at Canaan and that kind of buzzed around the hillside for a good while. And then Jesus went down to the feast and people from all over were down at the feast and when they came home, they're, they're just telling all of these stories, the things that they had seen, the things that they had witnessed, the stories of Jesus, the one from Nazareth, you know, that guy that lives just over the hill. And so this nobleman hears that Jesus has come into Canaan and he has a very particular driving need and interest in finding Jesus because the scripture says that his son was very sick, terminally ill. In fact, it, it may have been that he was so close to the point of death, it could be a matter of hours, it could be a matter of days. And so this man, he gets on his horse, and I want you to understand this, because this is going to come into play a little later in the story. This man gets on his horse, and he rides 25 miles. And he is wanting to get to Jesus. So he gets on his horse, he rides 25 miles from Capernaum to Canaan, and as he comes, I want you to understand, here is a man who is desperate. I mean, if you just put yourself in his position, if this was your child at the point of death, here comes this man, he is desperate, he is hopeless, he is in despair, he is distracted, his son is terminally ill, could have already perhaps passed away as he's riding to find Jesus and he comes without stopping into Canaan. I would estimate he probably gets there right around noon. And he's probably been just riding furiously all morning. Now just ask yourself, what is his faith? His faith is, is that he's heard stories about Jesus being this miracle worker. Jesus is this man who kind of does miraculous stuff. Jesus is someone who kind of just does wonders. And that's all he needs to know. If Jesus does miracles, then he has come to take Jesus back to his home and heal his son. And again, this is a man, great influence. He's used to getting people to do what he wants done. This official is kind of like the centurion we talked about last week. When he says, jump, those under him say, how high? He belonged to the court of King Herod. It says in the scripture that this nobleman was requesting of Jesus. Now the idea, if you look at that word in the Greek, it really kind of carries with it that this man kind of just kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on requesting of Jesus. 
The Greek word used here kind of suggests that even this man kind of went so far as to pestering Jesus. Whether Jesus was teaching or preaching or whatever he was doing, this man is just after Jesus continually, asking him, speaking to him, pestering him. And this man keeps telling Jesus, you gotta stop what you're doing. You gotta come with me. Time is of the essence. We can't be wasting time here. I need you to come and I need you to come now. Because I need you to go back and I need you to do your miraculous. I need you to do your healing stuff on my son because he's dying. In fact, it says here that he persisted. Suggests to me the fact that he had to kind of keep hounding Jesus is that Jesus didn't do anything at first. The man makes this request of Jesus and Jesus doesn't respond for whatever reason. And so the man just continues on. And he doesn't let up. He just keeps at it. He keeps pestering and requesting of Jesus. And it wouldn't say that unless Jesus initially did nothing about it. Jesus just stands there apparently and lets the man have a say, lets the man go on. He's just saying, I want you to come down to Capernaum and I want you to heal my son. I want you to do your wonder. And Jesus' response when he finally does talk And notice Jesus did not say what he did directly to the man because these words here are in the plural. Very interesting response. Jesus says, as it's translated in the Greek, unless you people. Jesus isn't talking to an individual at this point, which again is very interesting. He's almost kind of responding and kind of just going over or kind of looking through this man, and it's almost as if he is speaking to a group of people. Now, it could be that that group could have been the Galileans. Remember? They were with Jesus. They had seen. They believed now in Jesus because they had witnessed his miracles. Jesus does wonderful stuff. He's miraculous, therefore we believe in him. It could be, however, that Jesus had seen the clothes of the man, maybe what the man was wearing, kind of recognized who he was, maybe someone from Herod's court. So maybe Jesus in saying, you people, maybe he's referring there to Herod's court. In those days, in Herod's court, if you were a juggler, if you could do magic tricks, I mean, he brought you in. He welcomed you into his court because Herod had this nonstop festival going on. And Herod's mentality was you bring in all the entertainment you can as much as often as possible. Eat, drink, be merry, be entertained 24-7. And anytime somebody came by and said, hey, I can do miracles Herod would book him for a week's engagement, somebody just to have there in the royal banquet room. It could also be that maybe Jesus is referring when he says, you people, maybe he's referring to the Herodians, the whole political party that went around King Herod's court, but whatever. You know the kind of people Jesus is talking about. And he's saying, you people. He said, unless you see a miracle, I'll believe. I'll put my faith in you, but otherwise forget it. 
Seeing is believing. That was their motto. Whoever they were, Galileans or Herodians, Jesus said, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now let's just kind of get into what Jesus is talking about here and try to understand what he's saying. You've got to understand this expression that Jesus uses there, miraculous signs and wonders. Now it's interesting, if you read through the Gospels, what you'll find is you will come across this expression many times, signs and wonders. What does it mean? Wonder in the Greek language means just the sheer miraculous. That is something that really kind of defies explanation. It's the extraordinary. It's the supernatural. It is like the unusual to the point where you're kind of just left speechless. Words escape you to kind of describe or to react to what you're seeing. You kind of look at it and words just fail to explain it. It's a wonder. Wonder is a word which, again, describes and it speaks to the mighty effects, the mighty works of God and on those who see it. When I see it again, we're just almost struck dumb with wonder. That's the kind of the meaning of the word there. You could put it like this. God used it oftentimes as a wake-up call. When you see the wonder, you're kind of just shaken out of this earth-bound existence. It's God's kind of alarm clock going off in your ear. Wonder. Again, it's one of those things that just makes a person kind of just shake their head and it leaves them in a state. It kind of just awakens you to where you're ready to listen, to hear what God has to say. You might say as far as evangelism, Jesus' evangelism and the early church evangelism, this was the base. People saw the wonder. And when they saw the wonder, they were ready for the next word, which is sign. Now, sign is, you know, really what it means. It's a sign. It's like a sign post. And the whole point of wonders and signs is we want to stay at the wonder. It's so awesome. It's so wonderful. It's so incredible. It's so awe-inspiring that we want to wonder at it a bit more. But the Bible says the wonder is really a sign. And you all know that a sign is something that points to something else. A sign doesn't point to itself. It's always referring you in a different direction. When you see a signpost, you don't say, we're here. The signpost says, you're on the way. This is where you're going. The signpost, again, points away from itself. It says, don't stop here, but go this way. The wonder is a sign that points away from itself, and its intention is to introduce us. It is to bring us to the real character of God that is revealed in Jesus. I come to know who he is because of the sign. It tells me something about him. A sign and a wonder. Here's the thing, folks. This is what I want you to try to get. If you only have a wonder, then it's just razzle-dazzle time. It's temporary entertainment. It's temporary excitement. That's why the Bible always speaks of signs and wonders. 
never just wonders alone. Now, times you'll read of just a sign without a wonder, but you will never find just a wonder. And there are many things that are signs which point us to the heart of God, but are not necessarily wonders. But when God does something, it's always a sign and a wonder. And its intent, again, is to direct us. It is to point us back to the heart of God. So sign and wonder are really uh, the uh, two sides of the same event. Now, it is interesting to me that this is the only time in John's gospel that sign and wonder is mentioned. It's mentioned many other times in the other gospels, but John continually, from the beginning to the end of his gospel, just talked about the signs. But he never talks about the signs and wonders except this one time. And I believe in part John is doing that because he's wanting to emphasize here that the Jews, the Galileans, the Herodians, they were all consumed, they were all obsessed, they were all taken in with the wonders. John's talking about the signs. He's pointing to the signs that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And all these people are looking for and talking about and excited about are the wonders, the wonders, the wonders, the wonders. More wonders, more wonders, Jesus. Amaze us. They're fascinated by miracles. They want to see the power of God. They are obsessed. They're following Jesus. They cannot get enough of this. They're obsessed with seeing God's power in bodies. They can't wait for the next miracle. Now again, back to the question, what is their faith? It is faith. Jesus accepted it as faith. But you've got to understand, they're walking on really thin ice. I mean, this is one of these things. It can go either way. The people that saw the wonder, remember, of the multiplying of the fish and the bread. I mean, they didn't just see it once. They saw it twice. And there comes a point to where Jesus gets in the boat with the disciples And he starts talking about the bread, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They have no clue. They they think Jesus is talking about something else. And Jesus goes back and he has to remind them, remember the feeding of the 5,000? Remember the feeding of the 4,000? I mean, they're they're just taken up with the wonder of what Jesus is doing. And they're forgetting. As soon as the next wonder happens, they've forgotten everything else they've witnessed. These are the same ones who saw the wonder of the multiplying of the fish and the bread. They're the same ones who then turn around and say enough of him, away with him, crucify him. Again, faith that is based solely on miracles and sustained by wonder alone is very fragile faith. It's baby faith. It's really just the beginning steps It's a matter of being linked to Jesus by a love of the sensational and the spectacular. And folks, you will never build a sustainable, solid faith 
based on wonders alone. You have to get to the sign and follow the sign. And then you see what this is saying to you about the character of God. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he reminds us, walk by faith, not by sight. And in John 20, as Jesus reveals himself to Thomas, who doubted Jesus' resurrection, remember uh, the other disciples had seen Jesus risen from the dead. Thomas would not believe him. Thomas said, you know what? Unless I can put my finger in the nail prints in his hand, unless I can thrust my side my hand into the side where the spear thrust through him, I will not believe. Remember, as the disciples were together next time, and Thomas is there, and Jesus appears to him, and he says to Thomas, here, Thomas, you can put your finger in the nails. Here, Thomas, you can put your uh, hand in my side. And Thomas says, oh, my God. Oh, my Lord. And my God. Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. There's a blessing when we don't have to see and we're not dependent on the wonders to believe. But the Jews, they only saw the wonder. And their reaction is, Jesus is kind of this man. He does this miraculous stuff. He does this razzle-dazzle stuff. He's very, very entertaining. And it's just awesome to watch him. There's kind of fireworks in his hands. And so Jesus says to this nobleman, he says, what do you want? I know what you people want. You want me to come down to Capernaum to stand over your boy and do a wonder. You want me to come down there and just to do more of the razzle-dazzle that you people are so obsessed with. He's basically, that's the story. That's the reputation of you people. Unless you see signs and wonders and miracles you don't believe. Jesus says, be careful. Because every generation becomes obsessed with the wonders, but they don't follow the signs. But it's interesting, this nobleman, he's just not put off at all by Jesus' statement. He doesn't argue with Jesus. Just basically says to Jesus, I'm not quite sure I follow what you're saying, but we can talk about this in depth at another time. Just come down to heal him. He's dying. Come, do your wonder. Come, do your miraculous. Come, do your razzle-dazzle. So Jesus responds. Now, the, the response is just, it's so Jesus. It just comes out of left field. And he responds in a way that I just... The look on the guy's face would be worth a million bucks. Because Jesus just basically leaves him speechless. Jesus doesn't say, I'll come and heal him. I'll come and do my wonder working stuff. I'll come and do the razzle dazzle. Jesus just says to him, go your way, your son lives. Basically tells the man, go home. 
Your son's fine. What's amazing to me is there's no wonder. There's no fireworks. There's no razzle-dazzle. There's nothing. Jesus just standing there with the man. Maybe he's kind of got his hands in his pocket, and he's kind of just doing one of these numbers, and he just simply says to the man, go home. Boy is alive and well. There's no wonder, no action, no explosive power. There's nothing to witness. There's nothing to see. Jesus just says, go home. The problem is there's nothing to hold on to here, Jesus. We need to see the wonder. There's nothing to hold on to here. The man simply has to accept the words Jesus spoke. That's it. Nothing else other than the words Jesus said, go home, your boy's fine. No wonders, no signs. Again, I say this can be very upsetting. The potential for this to be very upsetting to this man because he's come 25 miles. He wants to take this miracle worker, this man who does wonders, back to his home. And now all he's got to take with him to go back home is Jesus' word. But the scripture says he believed the word. Nothing else to put his faith in. There was nothing else to grab onto other than the word that Jesus spoke. He believed the word that Jesus said. And what this man does is just amazing, is that he committed himself. He put his faith in the words that Jesus spoke. And what he does in that is he begins to commit himself to the person of Jesus. Now, again, 25 miles is not really a long distance on a good horse. But notice this. This is amazing to me. The man does not go home until the next day. Now, that tells me this man believed. It wasn't a mental ascent kind of believing. He believed to the point that he knew his son was well. That he kind of just goes to the day's end, gets a room, rest. He knew there was no reason, there's no desperate need to get back home. He knew, he believed. His son was alive and well. He's no longer the distracted, stressed out, distraught father who wonders whether his son will be alive or dead when he gets home. He can relax. He knows. Jesus said it. He gave me his word. He spoke his word. I believe it. So he just gets a place to stay overnight, 
and he ambles home the next day. And as he draws near to his home, the servants come rushing out to him and they said exactly the same words Jesus said. Your son is alive and well. And the man, I mean, just again to see his face. Just the confidence. Maybe a smile. A relaxed smile. And he simply says, what time was it that he began to get better? And they said, it was one o'clock yesterday afternoon. And Jesus realizes, or the man realizes, that was the exact same time Jesus said, your son is alive and well. Now, Jesus wasn't prophesying here. Rather, Jesus' words released power to bring about that healing. Jesus is life, he is health, he is wholeness in the presence of death. It's life and death, one against the other, and Jesus Christ has the victory over death, over sickness, over disease, over the demonic realms. And when they weighed all that man, as he shares with his family, what happened to him? As he just relates and recounts the events of yesterday, his interaction with Jesus. It says, not only did the man come to put his faith in Jesus, but it says his whole household came to faith. Do you see how this, this faith kind of went from real baby steps into a very mature faith. It's not just a matter of believing Jesus' word now. They followed the sign, and now they have put their faith in him. And again, I just encourage that we got to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And the scripture says that he ascended to the Father in order that he might send to us the comforter. That he might send to us a parakletos in the, in the Greek. I love that word. It's someone who is going to not just come alongside us, but it's going to be someone who is going to dwell within us. And we the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us, we are his body. We are his representation upon the earth. And for people with physical needs to come into touch with us is for them to come into touch with the Lord Jesus himself. We are his ambassadors. We are his representation upon the earth. It is our hands, it is our voice now that Jesus uses through the Holy Spirit in us to speak his healing words, to release that power of healing upon the sick today. And Jesus did it out of who he was. We do it out of who he is. And that's the difference. I don't have to have, I have no confidence in my ability whatsoever. I have confidence in his ability. 
his name, his authority. And all he has said to us is he's just commissioned us, given us authority, has breathed upon us again, that compassion, that love for humanity. And he says, as you lay your hands upon the sick and just speak his word to them, the scripture says, the sick shall be healed. The blind will see, the lame will walk, the dead will rise because of the word that Jesus speaks through us. Amen. It's going to just pray and then we're just going to invite worship team back up on the platform tonight and we're just going to, I just want to pray again that as we look and we reflect on the story again that, that tonight if, if you're here in need of healing my, my prayer for you is that you would find complete sufficiency. That you would just find complete confidence in the word that Jesus has spoken, is speaking to you regarding your healing tonight. Even if there's no wonder, if there's, if there's nothing there to base it on, but his word alone, that that tonight would be enough for you. Father, we just ask, Lord, that, Father, I pray for people here tonight that are contending for healing in their bodies. That, Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would speak the word, that, God, we not be looking that we not be needing, that we not be dependent on any kind of wonder, that we not be dependent on any kind of outward power. But God, tonight, if you would just choose to speak your word of healing over us and in us tonight, that God, that would be enough. We would be confident in that word that you speak to us and over us tonight. And Father, I thank you because your word says you sent your word and it healed them. There is power in the words of Jesus. And Father, if nothing else, we will stand confident. We will stand assured upon that word which Jesus spoke and that word that will manifest healing in our bodies tonight. Father, we'll put our faith, our trust solely in the word that Jesus speaks, the word of our healing tonight. And we just thank you. Thank you tonight, Father, especially for those that are contending for healing tonight. Jesus, you said your sheep hear your voice. Father, if there are people here tonight that need to hear your word regarding their healing, Father, I thank you, Lord, that they hear your voice. And God, you're going to speak that word into them. We just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here tonight and want prayer for healing, we invite you just to come up. We're just going to pray 
uh, for you. We're going to contend again for your healing uh, tonight. And so if you're here uh, and would like prayer, if you're here tonight and, and want to pray for people, um, wherever two or more gather together, there is power in unity. And so if there are people up here to be prayed for tonight and, and, and you just feel like you want to just come and just pray for them tonight, just come and, and gather around them, lay hands on them uh, tonight. And we're just going to join together. We're just going to come together in, in unity of faith and, and believe that God's going to move uh, in, in these bodies tonight. So if you're here and just need healing, I want to just invite you to come. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.